I'm going to start off my sermon a little differently this morning. I'm going to quote from the theologian Larry the Cucumber <laughs> from a Christian TV series in the 90s. And it always ended with this. God made you special, and he loves you very much. And I think, honestly, if we think on that this morning, getting past the fact that there's a cucumber on the screen, God loves you, and I love you, people in this church love you, but I think just thinking for a moment that God loves us, he inspired a Bible to tell you how much he loves you. And I'm thankful that Larry gave us a good reminder this morning that God made us special and he loves us very much. So, as we approach Psalm 30, before we begin that, I just want to ask you some questions. See where you're at this morning. Have you ever woke up or had such a bad day that you never thought it would end? Have you ever wanted a day to end that was just so bad? Have you ever felt like you were going through something so stressful, so tough, so hard, that it felt like you wouldn't endure one more day of it? Or maybe you're here and you've been wounded, hurt by a mom, a dad, a friend, a neighbor, a church. You've never been shown hope or love in your life. You've had no shoulder to cry on and no one that you could share your grief with. Maybe you're someone this morning whose family and friends have the emotional depth of a kiddie pool. And they don't really care about you. They don't love you. They don't listen. They just tell you to suck it up and that that's life and you just need to get over it. Maybe you're here and your life is just too hard at this, moment, at this point. You don't feel like you have any friends. You feel alone, and life hasn't worked out the way you wanted it to. Or maybe you're here, and you're about to give up on your faith, or you already have. And you're tired of fighting for faith in God, and it's just easier to give up and get out. So before we go anywhere today, I think I want you to know something. You came to the right place. God is close. And he's speaking to us through Psalm 30. Literally his words to you this morning. God is speaking and he's here in power. So let's pray. God, you are speaking through Psalm 30. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. In your name we pray, amen. So our text has been read. Thank you, Josh. And we saw a subtext at the beginning. It says something like, to be... A Psalm of David read at the dedication of the temple. And if you know your Bible history, you know that that's a real problem. Because David wasn't alive when the temple was finished. So do we have a continuity error in the Bible? I don't think we do. I think that there's at least a couple of explanations. But the one that I like the most is this. That I think it's easily remedied by the fact that we have a psalm before us that David had begun to gather the materials for the temple. He was anticipating it's coming, and 
It was written before the completion of the temple to be read at its dedication. And I think this is a psalm of David in a sense where he is reflecting on missing out at the dedication of the temple as he struggles. And so another thought would be that this subtext was just added later for flavor. I'm going to go with the first one. But that's where I think we're headed this morning. So our first point is this. We have a problem. The problem. Verses 1 through 3. Look with me in verse 1. It says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. So first, we have this weird word that we never use called extol. So I love Bible translations sometimes. They use words we just never use. So extol is kind of an interesting word. But David first, let's look at this problem. David has a problem, and in this particular case, it, is, it seems an illness or a disease that's almost taken his life, and he also has this continued frustration with people. I don't know about you, I'm only 35, but those are typically my two problems in life, are disease and illness and people. We all have the same problems. They're not our only problems, and they are not David's only problem, but they, he's reflecting on those two things here. People hurt us. We hurt others. It's what we do as human beings. And health and illness and death come for all of us. They're inevitable. So sin has caused those two things. Sin is the breaking of God's law or wanting and loving things above God. That's what sin is. And we all are guilty of those things. And so we see that David has our problems, the same problems that we have too. But however, as David is reflecting on his problems, his soul begins to be stirred up. He goes to God. He doesn't go to another source of help in his time of great need. See, what do we turn to help for? We don't like, I don't know, we're not in the ancient world, so we're in the modern world. And we tend to go to things like TV, sports. I know I have in my life just watched a million things that I don't care about just to numb my life away. We watch TV shows. We watch our phones. We scroll social media for literally hours a day. We eat food to make ourselves feel better. We spend our money on things to make ourselves feel better. We drink. We do drugs. We have sex. We do anything to numb our pain. And then again, let's look at this word that David uses, though. So instead of numbing his pain with worldly things, or just things that aren't going to actually make our problems go away, what does David do? He says he extols. There's that word that we don't ever use, which means, or it could be translated exalt, or hold in very high regard God. He begins to exalt in God and go to the Lord. So he cries out to the Lord for what? For help cries out to him for help. So verse 1, let's read it again. I will extol you or exalt you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and I have not let, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. In an amazing work of God, God restores or heals David exactly the way he asked him to. 
God has listened to his specific request and he's answered it. And then, we, then he reflects even more on this in verse 3. O Lord, you have brought, me, brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those that go down to the pit. And now here's another word we don't really have any association with. We don't ever use. Sheol is an Old Testament term. It's the place of death. Sometimes referred as the grave, Hades, the pit. It sometimes means a place of hardship and destruction. It can also refer to eternal punishment. It has various degrees in the Old Testament, but I think we can understand his sentiment about what Sheol is. It's the grave. It's death. And in this psalm, David is praising the Lord for bringing him away from death and restoring him to life, for preserving his life. But I want to ask a big question that I will not answer yet. But I want your heart to be thinking about it. What happens when God doesn't answer us the way we want him to? Hold that thought. Let's go to our second point, joy in the morning, verses 4 through 5. It says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So David, we see verse 4, he calls every, and I want you to hear this, this word saints, every follower of God to praise the Lord. He's, you know, he's calling the faithful followers of the Lord. That's what saints means here in verse 4. Faithful followers of God. But i got to apply this in the modern way with the New Testament having been written and Jesus Christ alive from the dead. A saint, to be a faithful follower of God, now means you have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's its full New Testament application. See, you and I cannot obey this text without believing in Jesus. God is not some abstract God in the universe that we just pick and choose what we want from him. He has revealed himself. That's why it's capital L-O-R-D, right? And he's calling on every saint to do so. That's why we have to look at this through the lens of the gospel. Or that word just means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Because you and I cannot be a faithful follower of God and also deny Jesus as Lord. So, what is he calling every saint to do then? He's calling us to sing. We've already done that. To sing in response to God. And this is something profound. God is still worthy of our prayers and our praise even in pain. Even when he doesn't answer us with a yes I never wrote anything in my notes for this part because I don't really know how to write down the experiences I've had with this I remember when my grandmother Phyllis was dying and she was in her 60s and I felt like she had tons of life left she loved the Lord. She loved people. And then there's people walking out of the hospital that you felt like, man, God, are you looking at the two people in the hospital? 
I think God's like, yes, I am. Is God still worthy of my praise even though he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to? Yes. And I'm going to keep unpacking that with you. So we sing even when it hurts. Even when life hasn't gone the way we thought it would. And so God does not always answer us with a yes. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes it's a later. Sometimes it's in the future. Those kinds of things. So what do we do? What do we do with all of these hard questions? Well, we reflect, I think, as David does as well. We sing as David sings. We, we pray. We ask God. We listen to the word, and we reflect on who God is. And this morning, I want you to know, and I really hope if you fell asleep that you're paying attention now, our biggest need, the things that we should be praying for the most, the most important thing that you need this morning and our souls need, and I believe that you know we all have a soul, the most important thing that our soul needs, that prayer has already been answered with a yes. What's that need? It's that I was a sinner. I was full of guilt and shame, and I knew it. It cost me something. I see it in the brokenness of the world, and Jesus has answered it by going to the cross of Calvary for you and nailing your sins on the cross and paying your debt for all eternity. He saves you. So if you cry out, God, save me this morning, you know what he will do? He will answer, yes, I will. We forget about that prayer, don't we? So we see that David is thinking about all of his hard stuff. He's being honest before God. That's something we see throughout the Psalms is David being really honest with God. But David doesn't stop there. He's not just doing a vent session with God like we do with our friends sometimes where we're like, I just want you to listen and never talk back to me, right? Like, I'm just going to get it all out and you just say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. That's not with God. That's not honesty. That's just venting. The honesty here is an honesty that reveals the heart and the burdens and the hurt and the longing and ready to receive something back. So all of the things that have been so tough, David speaks those very plain to the Lord. David then reflects on God's faithfulness after that. Look in verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime. I want us to really think on these, this verse. Spurgeon is very helpful. If his temporary and fatherly anger be so severe that it need to be short, what must be the terror of eternal wrath exercised by the judge? towards his adversaries, but the Lord's favor. His favor not only sweetens and cheers our life, but it is itself life, the very essence of life. Who would know life? Let him seek the favor of the Lord through Christ Jesus. And then what happens after we do that? After we experience the Lord's favor through belief in Jesus, well, I think we will experience A lot of what David experiences. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I don't know about you, but my weeping sometimes doesn't really just last for one night, does it? 
I don't think he's being exclusive, like it'll only be one night, okay? I think this is a broad teaching. But those are hard nights. Don't hear me say being a Christian, and don't let anybody ever tell you being a Christian is easy. The Bible has never said that, nor will it ever say it. Being a Christian is real. And life is really hard. And it is full of disappointment. But God so worked a sunrise into creation for one purpose, millions of purposes, but one for us this morning. Why is there a sunrise? It's to let you know that even though your prayer may be, the prayer you asked, the answer may be no, when the sun comes up, God's telling you that I'm still here. And I haven't left you. You can still come to me. And I'll take that mourning away from you. I'll take those weeping tears away from you. Because when a new day rises as a Christian, we remember something. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That's from a song called It Is Well. And we remember Romans 8, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no payment to be made left. God has paid the price, and it's oceans and oceans of sunlight and love. As, we, as those who trust in Jesus Christ wake up every morning and we have the chance to remember what God has done. And sometimes we, if we're going back to my kiddie pool illustration, we tend to think God's love is just a little kiddie pool. And that if we mess up and if we don't get our life right, that he will stop loving us and hate us forever. My friends, you know what that is? That is me and you putting our insecurities on Jesus. When Jesus says, my love is the ocean. Endless ocean. As far as the east is from the west, I love you. And I'll cast your sin that far. So what do you do this morning with this stuff, with this psalm? Church, I'm telling you, you sing when it's hard. You sing when God says yes, and you sing when God says no. You sing when you're sad. You sing when you're hurting. You sing when you're broken, and you sing when you're in pain. You sing what you got going on to the Lord, and you pray it out. Now I have students from the student ministry in here this morning. And they're going to laugh when I share this story because I've done it at least 30 times in youth group over the eight years I've lived here. But hopefully it'll hit you afresh in the light of this text this morning. In the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, Gandalf and Pippin find themselves behind the walls. And, the, and it seems like the armies of Sauron are just dominating them, destroying everything it looks like all hope is gone. Frodo and Sam are nowhere to be found. They don't know where they are on their way to Mordor to destroy the ring of power. And Pippin begins to despair. And I always cry, and I can feel it coming, so dang it. I love this scene. 
Because I think Tolkien is, is reflecting on Psalm 30. And I am going to cry. I just feel it. But it's so beautiful. So if you just read the words, you'll, you'll get it. And so there's this interaction between Pippin and Gandalf as Pippin is despairing. I didn't think it would end this way. End? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we almost take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass and then we see it. What, Gandalf? See what? White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Well, that isn't so bad. No, no, it isn't. You see, there is a joy in knowing that God doesn't leave his people to suffer alone. He so worked it into creation that every new day, he tells you, I've got this. But what do you do if joy doesn't come in the morning, even when you see the sunrise? What happens when the gray clouds don't ever lift? And life is just too hard. My saints, be vulnerable with somebody. Go to somebody for help. And if you're the person that is the person to receive that person asking for help, you know what you've got to do? With compassion, grace, and mercy, love that person by receiving their gift of vulnerability. And you give them Jesus. And at the end, the end of life, the Christian saint will be met with a swift sunrise as you look at the glory of a risen King, Jesus Christ. Third point, help me, O Lord. Verses 6 through 10. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, and you hid your face. I was dismayed. So when reading the Psalms, it can be really hard to understand what word to take away, or to even interpret what's actually going on, because it's an ancient book. This is very old text that we're reading here. But I think what we're seeing here is actually pretty impressive. David is being honest. He is saying that when he was young, so my young people, listen up, uh, when I was young, I had health, I had money, I had fame, I had God. Even in credits, God, you made my mountain stand strong. So he's giving credit to God like this is from you. No worries in life, right? What does the text say, though? So David is overconfident, and he's admitting it. He's being honest. He's being vulnerable. I was overconfident in my health and my prosperity. I took you for granted, and I took my time for granted that I had in those times. And he says, when God turns his face, or her, not turn, hid his face. God doesn't actually have a face that he can hide. If you didn't know that, there you go. Yeah, God is spirit, right? So his point is, you withheld prosperity from me. You made you allowed me to suffer and to be sick and to lose my, my confidence in those things. 
And he's bewildered and dismayed that this happened. And I think you and I can relate this morning. When we are healthy, we have our friends, we have everything we want in life. We can be overconfident in ourselves and put our trust in those things. And when they're taken away, even for a moment, we dismay. But how do we turn? We're supposed to turn in those moments to something. And how does David respond? Well, in a very interesting way, look in verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. That's a good turn. That's good application for you this morning. You don't have to hear piffy words from me. All rolled into nice language. That's it. Verse 8. You respond that way. It's a good way to respond when it hurts. But what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? The answer is yes. Will it tell of your faithfulness? Yes, it will. But he's asking the question, so we're going to get into that. Verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. See, I was struggling to really put this text into words, what's actually going on here with David. And, D- and J.R., who's a member of our church, we were talking, and he was really helping me work through some commentary work that I was doing. And he really, man, helped me focus in what I, what I was struggling with. So he was in first service, but thank you, J.R., for that help. Here was my struggle. I had all these commentaries saying things like, David doesn't have a fleshed-out doctrine of the afterlife. That's why he says these things. Church, that's a little silly, because if you read Psalm 19 and Psalm 23, David has a very good view of the afterlife. In your presence is fullness of joy forever, right? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knows where he's going when he dies. And here's the problem, I think. It's on the screen for you. Sometimes it's like we want our Bible and the way it presents human emotion and experience to be clean, You know what I mean by clean? We want them to always have the right theology, the right doctrine, the way to see everything and just their life together, and they just don't have it together, and neither do you, and neither do I. And the Bible's telling you, that's okay, because God has it together. But we want it to be clean, and life is not clean. It's hard, and it's full of disappointment. Big word this morning, disappointment, and unmet expectations. You and I are constantly disappointed if my, the way I look at Twitter and other things tell me we live in a country that's constantly disappointed. We have unmet expectations. Life doesn't turn out the way we always want it to, does it? We don't get our bucket list finished. So what's going on here in this text? I believe David wants to be the real king. He is the king. He's the king of Israel. He wants to be the king. He wants to be alive in the flesh, worshiping with the people of God in the temple he is preparing to build, and he's gathering those materials for. I believe that's what's going on here in this text, is why he says, well, the dust praise you, and that kind of stuff, because he is lamenting the fact that he knows he might not be there for it. 
And we know, because we can see the history, that he doesn't make it. He dies before its completion. So one thing that is so hard about being human is having to live with our expectations and our hopes and dreams dashed. The things that we want and the things that we want to finish go unfinished. It's why when someone dies so young, we're so sad. What is the common thing I hear from those, those people? And even from myself, they had so much life ahead of them. They had so many experiences to have that they didn't get to have. And now those are gone. Church, it's okay to lament that. Or to ha- have that be a heartache inside of us. Like it's okay to be sad when our expectations don't get met. It's okay to be sad. And church, we need to be reminded that death is awful. And it is not good. We feel it inside of our hearts at every funeral. But it is the constant brutal reminder of sin and what it produced in our world. And we never sometimes let ourselves feel the sadness of losing those we care about. I believe David doesn't want to miss this event. And he's lamenting it. And he's beginning to understand that he may not see it. Let's go to our last point. Mourning into dancing. Verses 11 through 12. Look with me in 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. And you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So some of us want, we hear the word dancing and we get uncomfortable. We shouldn't. God invented dancing, not pagans. God invented joy and feet and hands to swing dance. And to have a fun time. And to experience joy. God created those things. So don't freak out when it says dancing. Why does David dance? Well, church, just look at the text. It says it. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Sackcloth is another weird word we never use. It represents clothing worn in the Old Testament to represent a time of mourning. And they used to still do this in the old days, in the colonial days. In America, they would wear lots of black and they would have the lights off all the time and everybody would be wailing sackcloth so if i had the modern interpretation of what sackcloth is it's uh you eating a giant bag of cheetos with ice cream watching netflix that's our sackcloth maybe getting a starbucks drink so this is a helpful question though as we think about mourning and how we do it and how we're sad when you're hurt when what you hoped for and dreamed for doesn't come true When life is getting you down and people hurt you, what do you do? Do you run to the bottle? Do you run to the cigarette? Do you run to the internet? Do you run to social media to affirm you and tell you you're good the way you are? When you know deep down inside, that's what got you there in the first place. Is things aren't good. 
they're hard. Most of the time, I've heard things in churches that have sadly just broke my heart. They've been told that Elsa was right. Conceal, don't feel. That is the worst and most awful advice anybody ever gave a person. Just toughen up. Life gets hard. Just do better. Just get over it. That's not important. People are starving and dying in Africa. Why do you feel bad? I've heard Christians say those things to each other. And I've heard them mainly from men. Men, it's not godly to say things like that. We should respond to hurt and to these things and unmet expectations the way that the Bible does. And the way that we can, which is vulnerability. Hear me say it. Vulnerability is the way to hope, and David knows that. And we should know that too, because Jesus modeled that perfectly. He didn't have any sin. He was perfect in himself, yet he still modeled vulnerability as he prayed in the garden for God to remove the cup. But yet, not my will, but your will be done. That's vulnerability. So today... Until you lay it all before the Lord, all the hurt, all the baggage, all the stuff going on, you need to honestly open up to God this morning. If you have been somebody who it has never felt like joy is coming in the morning at all, and you are in sackcloth, you are mourning and sad and hurt. If you confess Jesus Christ this morning, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in that way, that gospel, that truth about Jesus, he will loose your sackcloth. Literally, I love the imagery, taking off your time of sadness and mourning and giving you and clothing you with gladness. Get the picture. It's beautiful. And gladness hear me, it's on the screen, but I want you to really see it. Gladness is not just an over-the-top feeling of happiness or joy. It can be those things, but it's not just that. One way to think about gladness in this text is desiring something deeply and willing to walk through the pain to get it. In this case, the desire should be Wanting to worship God, to know and live a full life, knowing that Jesus Christ has done everything for you, pursued you, and loved you, and then living for, for God. And I believe that over time, we will begin to feel the clothing of gladness. Verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So sing and don't be silent, church. Read how God responds to us if we will open up and listen. If you will open up today, be vulnerable, and listen to what God says in his word, you will understand these things. Look at John, it's on the screen, John 3, 14 through 16. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that eternal life is not you being an angel with a diaper on playing a harp. It is an eternal, full joy. Eternal life. Church, Jesus will begin to slowly loose the pains of hurt off of you and clothe you with gladness. Belief in Jesus is this. Real belief is that I hurl myself, like literally throw myself at a real Savior as my only hope. I want to be really forgiven for my real sins by a real Savior. Charles Spurgeon said this. When the sun of righteousness comes, we wipe our eyes and joy chases out intruding sorrow. Who would not be joyful that knows Jesus? The first beams of the morning brings us comfort when Jesus is the day dawn. And all believers know it to be so. Morning only lasts to morning. When the night is gone, the gloom shall vanish. This is adduced as a reason for saintly singing. And forceful reason it is. Short nights and merry days call for the psaltery and a harp. Let's pray.